0: Bullshit is everywhere. Bullshit is rampant.
1: Bullshit.
0: Bullshit. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it, and stick your head out and yell.
1: Welcome back to the Bullshit Filter Syrian Civil War, episode 22. My name is Cameron Riley, and with me, as always, is Ray, the dog ate my homework, Harris.
0: How are you today, Hello, Ray? Everyone. I am Peachy Keen. Uh, uh, disclaimer this is our three. I'm going to need you to take your expectations and cut them in half. And
1: uh, our expectations were low coming in, Ray, to be honest.
0: (laughs) Well, then it's going to be sad then. But we will try.
1: Um, The Obama administration, as we mentioned in previous episodes, uh, had this policy after Obama decided not to bomb Syria uh, and and Congress wouldn't have let him even if he wanted to, although he didn't really need Mm. to ask permission, but he, he chose to. Yeah. Um, they really ramped up their supply of weapons, including tanks and guns and all sorts of shit. Communications mm-hmm. equipment, the the full gamut. Microsoft Windows, uh, you know, Microsoft Office, uh, probably Project Microsoft Project because you know you need to plan these things out.
0: Um, yeah, so no iPhones. Well, probably.
1: Anyway. Well, probably. No, I don't know about iPhones. To okay. so, um, the rebel groups, but as we saw, uh, the rebel groups. Fought amongst each other, and the, 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 the more extreme rebel groups just uh, went and took all of the American shit from the other rebel groups and said, There's like, you know, schoolyard bullies taking the other kids' lunches. Right. And America was the mum at home making peanut butter yeah. and jelly sandwiches and giving, giving them to their little rebel kid, and then the bullies just yeah. going and taking their lunch.
0: Well, sandwiches that cost hundreds of millions of dollars.
1: Yeah, very expensive lunch. Yeah. yeah. Now, um, the 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 U.S. As I mentioned in the last episode, the, the Obama administration wasn't necessarily a completely cohesive entity. Uh, mm-hmm. There were there were various factions inside the administration that were trying to that had different ideas on what should be done. Um, Now, one faction, apparently in the Obama administration, wanted to overtly support the Islamic Front Mm -hmm. and rename them as being moderate. As I mentioned at the end of the last episode, the Islamic Front, really hard to tell them apart from ISIS. uh, They wanted (laughs) the same outcomes as far as I can See, they wanted to establish an Islamic state. They wanted to run it via their interpretation of uh, Sharia law. Maybe they weren't into beheading as much as ISIS were. I'm not sure. But they were pretty That's extremist. Right. And mm-hmm. they had been... Seen as a terrorist organization up until this point by most Western countries. But there was this one part of the Obama administration was like, let's just say that they're not really that bad. And then we can then we can support them. And it doesn't look so bad. They did open up talks, apparently, the administration with the Islamic Front and didn't declare them a terrorist organization at the time, as they had with ISIS and al Nusra. Mm -hmm. Even though the uh, leader of the Islamic Front had not only given lots of speeches calling for an Islamic state governed by Sharia, but also was attacking Alawites. There was at least one part of the Obama government that was like, yeah, let's give them a a shot. (laughs) They're bad, but they're not as bad as the other
0: guys. They're moderate in comparison. Mm. Not really. But it sounds good. Now, there was another option
1: the Obama administration was looking at. They were like, maybe we temporarily, just temporarily, uh, mind you, partner up with Bashar al-Assad uh, and def- you know work with him to defeat the really bad rebels. Right, Get the baddies. And then we go back and ally ourselves... <laughs> With the good rebels later on, and fight oh my Bashar al-Assad. Maybe that would work. If maybe
0: this is <laughs> this is why no normal person becomes president in the United States. It's it's just too much. It's too much. That's but insane.
1: In fact, that is kind of what they had already done when they did a deal with Assad's government to dismantle their chemical weapons is they were saying all right well Mm -hmm. we need to support you for at least the next 12 months so you can get that done because we don't want them the chemical weapons that is falling into the hands of isis or even the if if the islamic front or al-nusra or al-qaeda or any of these guys so you know they'd already technically done that anyway
0: and they got to know during that year when they're dismantling their chemical program, they're still going to be fighting their own people and killing their own people, just not currently with gas.
1: Mm, if they had ever a, done it with gas, which is still up for right, debate. if they
0: did, yeah, yeah.
1: Now, early in February 2014, the opposition groups who were negotiating in Geneva with the Assad regime for what they wanted. Quietly dropped their demand for Assad's resignation. Ooh. Um, so they still wanted a transitional government that mm-hmm. would support both sides. But previously they'd said, "Before that can happen, we need Assad to resign." Now they're like, oh, "Okay, maybe he doesn't need to resign. We just want to be represented in the government so we can have our say." Right. But the Obama administration weighed yet another option. Oh, God. It could double down on its support for the Supreme Military Council <laughs> and provide them with advanced anti
0: aircraft weapons. No. Damn it. No. The, 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 the shit. The baddies are already driving American tanks. Now you're going to give them anti-air weapons. Because it's one thing...
1: Indirectly. You know, I think we all know from experience that when you throw good money after bad, it always works out well, right? I mean, I remember when you and I were in Vegas and we were 100 grand down on the poker tables... <laughs> And we said, well, that ruins us. Like, we don't have, we're out of money. We've got nothing. Yeah. You know, you said to me, Cam, I yeah. think you can still, uh, you know, sell your children into slavery. Get, you can take them, Cam. Get, you can take them. Yeah, the next, look, yes, we had a bad hour at the tables, but that next hour, I know yeah. it's quite evident yeah. from watching you play, Cam, that you have no idea what you're doing. Uh, not only do you have no idea how to play the game, but you have really, really bad luck and really bad judgment. But I feel convinced yeah.
0: that if you just throw another yeah. hundred grand behind it, shit'll just right. shit'll just work out. Here's what here, here's what I know: if you lose ten hands in a row to the point where you're not actually wearing pants, you're gonna win on the eleventh hand, and you should throw everything down on that. Statistically, it's just going to win. it's going to be there for you. I yeah. just know it. Yeah, I saw it
1: in a Hollywood movie once. It must be true.
0: <laughs> there was a bunch of guys in weird looking suits, and they had their hair slicked back, and they were talking funny. This is going to work for you big time, and then we'll have a story to tell everybody.
1: And in fact, that is what the Obama administration decided to do: double down, spend more, throw more God. money at this problem. Um. But then in June of 2013, uh, something interesting happened. In Iran, they had an election, and a relatively moderate president was elected. Hassan Rouhani. Nice name. Yeah. Do you like that name? Yeah. <laughs> Rouhani. Rouhani?
0: I just like it. Rouhani.
1: It tastes like... It's
0: like you're, ca- it tastes- it's, you're casting a spell. Rouhani. He
1: tastes like honey. He's on the money. He's he's very funny. I don't know.
0: It's hour three. Yeah. So there were there were fifty million eligible voters in Iran. Seventy two percent of them, or thirty six point seven million of them, cast ballots, and Rouhani got fifty. percent of the vote and that 0.71 is very important because it means since he got a majority is that what i'm trying to say majority of the vote there was not there was he did not have to do a runoff with a person who came in second so this is considered um along the lines of a landslide victory
1: yeah um, and he's a very pleasant looking chap too. Uh, President yeah, nice Rouhani, he's got daddy nice- looking almost, yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Uncle, he's like an uncle, Uncle Rouhani.
1: Actually, he reminds me of um, Mr. C from Happy Days, Mr. Cunningham,
0: Cunningham, yeah, yeah. with a beard, yeah, with yeah. a beard.
1: Yeah, if you if you took Mr. Cunningham, put gave a him a beard on, beard and put a turban on his head,
0: yeah, boom. Done. Hey, Mr. C. If if
1: you're wondering what Hassan Rouhani looks like, that's what he would
0: look like. My Um, name is Hassan Cunningham Rouhani.
1: What can I do for you? Yeah. Now, he uh, is a lawyer, uh, an academic, uh, former diplomat, Islamic cleric, had been Mm. a member of Iran's Assembly of Experts since 1999. I love that. That's like the Supreme Military Council. I want, I want a business card that says I'm a member of the Assembly of Experts.
0: I am the Assembly. You're on the Brute Squad. I am the Brute Squad. You are the Assembly of Experts.
1: The Assembly of Experts, of course, in Iran is the body that is empowered to designate and dismiss the supreme leader of ah. Iran. Um, the supreme leader being the Ayatollah so he's one of the guys that could make or break the Ayatollah Um, so uh, uh, whoops what happened there he was um, he is fairly moderate he said in the run up to this election in 2013 that if elected he would prepare a civil rights charter Mm. and would improve rocky relations with western nations because he liked he liked to rap I improve rocky relations with Western nations. My name is Rouhani. I'm funny. I'm on the money. I smell like honey. I'm just, I look like Mr. Cunningham. <laughs> what,
0: what? 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 Yeah. Wicky, wicky. And so after, <laughs> after, wicky, wicky, woo, after the, after the uh, election, he said, this victory is a victory for wisdom, moderation, and maturity over extremism. And then he said right after that, that the world had to acknowledge the rights of Iran. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not one of these crazy fuckers you see behind me going death to America. But at the same time, I got to represent what what uh, my country and my peeps, Iran. Mm. But again, he doesn't sound like he's got blood dripping from a knife. So, you know, maybe this is a good thing. Mm. Um, not all. Nice,
1: uh, good in his personal life, though, Um, Uh he married his cousin, who (laughs) was six years younger. Oh, he's Virginian. Okay. Or a
0: Lannister.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But he had a son who, according to some sources, uh, committed suicide Mm. um, and left a suicide note that protested his father's connection with the Ayatollah Kamane. Um. Ooh. Apparently, now this appeared in a Saudi-owned newspaper, so I'm not sure how legit it is. But co- apparently the son's suicide note said, I hate your government, your lies, your corruption, your religion, your double standard and your hypocrisy. I was forced to lie to my friends each day, telling them that my father isn't part of all this, telling them my father loves this nation. Whereas I believe this to be untrue. It makes me sick seeing you, my father, kiss the hand of Kamane.
0: So that's pretty... Uh, that's pretty a bit poetic for a teenager. But yeah, I mean, if it's true, damn.
1: I don't know how old he was... Uh, oh, I was thinking teenager. Okay. He committed suicide...
2: Uh,
1: but yeah, harsh, harsh. Uh, yeah. 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 Anyway, he's got a son who died under mysterious circumstances anyway. So anyway, Rouhani gets elected and the rhetoric towards Syria starts to change somewhat. The rhetoric coming out of Iran, that is. Mm-hmm. Um, some important Iranian leaders started to criticise the Syrian regime in August and September of 2013, after the al attacks, the former president, Hashemi, of Iran gave a speech in which he admitted, the Syrian people have suffered much during the past two years. More than 100,000 have been killed and 7 to 8 million have become displaced. Prisons are overflowing with people and they have turned stadiums into prisons. Now, he was the first high-ranking Iranian to say the Assad's government was responsible for the chemical weapons attack uh, in mm. Al-Ghuda. He said the people have suffered a chemical attack by their own government. Now, of course, as people know, by this stage, Iran, big supporter of Syria and vice versa. And uh, we, we played clips uh, on an earlier show of their president, Ahmadinejad, so... Uh, Slightly critical of uh, Assad and uh, the, his government, but they had mm-hmm. continued to support them up until this point. People were really wondering at this stage: is the Rouhani government going to continue to support uh, Assad or not? Because if Iran turns on him, you know it's pretty much all over. If he loses Iran, he l- probably loses Hezbollah. He uses he loses the Iranian uh, guard that have been sent in to support his troops. They're crack. Uh, paramilitary, mm-hmm. so the Revolutionary Guard. So it um, there it was a, could have been a big turning point
0: here, but as it turns out, right. not a lot changed um, except the rhetoric. Yeah, because even the United States, along with Britain and France, were saying, you know, they they you know, professed to be pleased with the election results. And they said, we will engage Iran directly. And hopefully we can find a diplomatic solution that will fully address the international community's concerns about Iran's nuclear program. So they're like saying, hey, this guy's talking the talk. Maybe he can walk the walk. Let's at least try to talk to him about this. Because after all, what do we have to lose?
1: Yeah, and so six months after Rouhani was elected, the pretty remarkable, really, um, historical breakthrough happened where the U.S. started to negotiate with Iran about their nuclear program. Now, just let's recap quickly. I know I've talked about this before on this show, on the Cold War show, but Iran was a pretty moderate... Uh, country in the early fifties, uh, mm. they had a president uh, Mossadegh. They had a Shah who was, you know, kind of brutal, but um, kept in check by his parliament, the Maligi. Um the The Iranians have been trying to renegotiate their oil deal with Great Britain. Right. Uh, Great Britain. Uh, conspired with the newly formed CIA to overthrow the Mossadegh government, claimed that he was uh, in collusion with communists. Uh, they created violence in the streets. The Americans did um, under uh, Kermit Roosevelt, who was running the CIA operation. Um, and uh, they overthrew Mossadegh and they installed uh, a, a brutal uh, a dictatorship under a general and supported by the the Reza Shah and that continued, that brutal government continued to crush popular dissent uh, for 20 odd years 25 years Mm. until the revolution, the Iranian revolution of 1979 and the Iranians and the Americans had a very very tense relationship from that point onwards Uh, basically The U.S. and and Iran have been at each other's throat, uh, accusing each other of uh, being the the great Satan ever since. Now, uh, in late 2013, the Obama administration changed their policy on Iran and started to negotiate with them. Now, the, the Americans have been claiming for forever, really, for 20 years, that Iran was trying to develop nuclear weapons. Now, the Mm -hmm. fascinating thing is, if you go back and you look at the claims, whenever some congressman or another or Benjamin Netanyahu would stand up and claim Iran was about to deliver, about to develop nuclear weapons, they were always about to do it. It was like five years away.
2: (laughs) Right. Now, if you remember, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu recently did a huge speech in front of the United Nations... uh, including a literal bomb picture not a bomb but a picture of a bomb as we're about to show you where explained that the whole thing is explosive and iran's gonna, about to have a nuclear weapon so let's go to the guardians reporting on this netanyahu's dramatic declaration to world leaders in twenty twelve that iran was about a year away from making a nuclear bomb was contradicted by his own secret service according to a top secret Mossad document now uh, at the time they explained brandishing a cartoon of a bomb The red line, to illustrate his point, the Israeli prime minister warned the U.N. in New York that Iran would be able to build nuclear weapons the following year and called for action to halt the process. Now, I want to show you the picture of him doing that. I like that scowl he's got along with it. And did he get um, Bugs Bunny to draw that picture or (laughs) the roadrunner? That's check from uh, The Young Turks. Um, Right.
1: Yeah, so if you if you dig into this, um, the, the, there's been this these these uh, claims that Iran mm-hmm. is going to develop nuclear weapons. They're only a year away. Uh, this has been going on for twenty years. Uh, they're yeah. only a year away from having nuclear weapons. It's like uh, the people keep falling for it. Yeah, yeah. This this has been going on for forever. Now, <clears throat> Iran has always argued that, yes, we're trying to develop nuclear technology, but it's so we can develop nuclear power, not Mm -hmm. nuclear weapons. They've always argued that Iran needs to diversify its sources of electrical power because it relies too much on oil-burning power plants, which, A, is inefficient, and, B, Iran's oil reserves are in decline and have been in decline for decades And in Mm. fact, when the U.S. was supporting Iran in the 70s before the revolution, they were making the same argument. They were trying to get Iran, the Shah, to buy nuclear reactors from U.S. nuclear energy companies because they Mm. were arguing that Iran was going to run out of oil and needed to move to nuclear. But then the revolution happened and the Iranians kept trying to move towards nuclear and the U.S. has been going, oh, they're trying to build a bomb, look, (laughs) look,
0: ever since. (laughs) Slightly disingenuous. Basically, they're not buying our nuclear power plants.
1: Well, look, you know, I think it's just an excuse to to ramp up the rhetoric against Iran once they stop being friendly towards the U.S. Now, maybe they have been trying to develop nuclear weapons. If I was them, I would want Mm -hmm. nuclear weapons. Fuck yeah! A bit bit like our mate Kim in North Korea wants nuclear weapons, as he should. When your enemies have nuclear weapons, if Joe Stalin taught us anything, it's that if your enemies have nuclear weapons, you need to have nuclear weapons. Uh, I mean, think about it from Kim's perspective at the moment. Saddam Mm -hmm. Hussein didn't have nuclear weapons, and he gone. Gaddafi didn't have nuclear weapons, and he gone.
0: He definitely gone.
1: He gone. Yeah. Uh, right. I want nuclear weapons. Because yeah. uh, I don't
0: want to be gone. Because I don't, don't want, want to be gone. gone. Yeah. Yeah. I don't yeah. Get yeah. gone. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So yeah. Um, I, I think it would be entirely reasonable. However, Iran has always said they aren't trying to develop nuclear weapons, and I'll go into that in a second. Um, not saying we should believe them, but that's what they've been saying publicly, that it's all about nuclear power. Right. Um, now, meanwhile, the U.S. over the course of the last twenty odd years has imposed economic sanctions on Iran, which has pretty much destroyed their economy, and mm-hmm. as uh, economic sanctions do, inflicted incredible hardships on the Iranian people, which can't make them like America any more than they did previously. Uh, We've seen this uh, same sort of thing play out in Cuba, obviously, since the Cuban Revolution. And it's had as much success in Iran as it's had in Cuba.
0: Yeah, I was looking at some of the sanctions on Iran. Let's, let's see, um, following the revolution, uh, late, 70, late 70s, uh, economic sanctions, roughly about $12 billion were, were seized were frozen or whatever. There were more sanctions in the mid-80s. There were more sanctions in the mid-90s. In 2006, the U.N. Security Council passed Resolution 1696 and opposed sanctions on Iran after it refused to suspend its uranium enrichment program. So, yeah, so we have... We in the West have just been tightening the screws to this country since 1979, economically. And now they're suffering accordingly.
1: Yeah. I read that um, their oil revenues have dropped by 50%. Local currency lost as much as two-thirds of its value, and inflation hit 40%. That's four zero percent.
0: Yeah, that's insane.
1: But in January 2014, the U.S., Iran, and some other countries began implementing uh, this agreement where Iran would agree to freeze its nuclear enrichment program in return for sanction relief. Right. Now, there was an interim agreement that was supposed to last six months and would lead to a longer-term settlement that would allow them to develop nuclear power but with the whole inspections program in place and obviously blocking them from developing nuclear weapons. Mm -hmm. Now, Rouhani wrote an article at the time clearly stating that Iran was not and never had been wanting to develop nuclear weapons. And I think I've mentioned something about this before in an earlier episode, but he wrote at the time, we are committed not to work ...toward developing and producing a nuclear bomb. As enunciated in the fatwa issued by Supreme Leader Ayatollah al-Khamenei, "...we strongly believe that the development, production, stockpiling and use of nuclear weapons are contrary to Islamic norms. We never even contemplated the option of acquiring nuclear weapons." Because we believe that such weapons could undermine our national security interests. As a result, they have no place in Iran's security doctrine. Even the perception that Iran may develop nuclear weapons is detrimental to our security and overall national interest.
0: Mm. If I can add a little bit. And I don't want to go too far, but I I just wanted to add some details to the deal that was made. This was published by the United States government. Um, Iran's uranium stockpile will be will be reduced by ninety eight percent to three hundred kilograms for the next fifteen years. The level of enrichment must also remain at three point six seven. Percent. Um, Iran will retain no more than just over six thousand of its centrifuges, which at one point it had twenty thousand. And again, so the the little bit that they're the little bit of um, enrichment that they're allowed to do is to help them with, like you said, uh, power plants for the country, and is not sufficient for building a nuclear bomb. So on paper, this looks very good. This looks like a very solid deal to keep Iran, even if they wanted to, for the next fifteen years. From developing something that could hurt us.
1: Yeah, if that is in fact what they wanted to do, which they claim they don't. Exactly. Do you believe uh, they do or they don't <sighs> want to build a bomb, Ray? It's
0: it's 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 hard for me because all I and, and this is me being emotional, the American. I just remember watching news on the streets, the people chanting, cutting their where they what's that thing one day a year where they. They get in the streets and they, they literally mutilate their own body and they have blood pouring down into their eyes and coming out of the scalp where they cut themselves and do stuff and they just yell down with the devil, the great Satan or whatever. So I'm just like, oh my God. And, I, and I'm getting a lot of that is for internal politics, but it's it's hard not to be rattled by that imagery and to think the worst of them for it. Does that make sense? Well, how does does that have anything to do with whether or not they're building a nuclear bomb? Well, it's this. I mean, Americans don't get in the street and chant, down with Iran, down with the great Satan, we want to kill you. Cut ourselves and bleed and and scream and whatever for hours. Um, No, you just
1: march through the street with swastikas. (laughs) That's true.
0: That's true. No, I just no. It's just it was. It's just like you know. Every time anybody says anything to North Korea, their response is always like eleven. Been turned up to eleven. Just that some of these people, and it could be a very small percentage, just seems so fanatical and their hatred of us. Not that they don't have their reasons. it it's just hard not to generalize what you see on the news. And again, this is just me being very then, general.
1: Again, you're still not answering the question. Do you believe the Iranians want to build a nuclear? bomb or not
0: i wouldn't be surprised if they wanted to because like you said if people around you have it if your enemies have it why would you not want to have it but again after what um would have to after Gaddafi, maybe they'd be like look if we go down that road america will bomb the fuck out of us so i don't want anything to do with this so i was, obviously i don't know the answer but i could see them wanting it for self-defense
1: well, I mean, their, their great enemy, apart from the United States, is Israel. And Israel has <laughs> nuclear weapons, uh, mm-hmm. as well as the support of America's nuclear weapons. So, I, yeah, I, I mean, I, I can imagine the one. But they deny, and they've always denied, that they, as far as right. I'm aware, that they're trying to build nuclear weapons. And if And if your head, your supreme leader, comes out and gives a public statement saying, not only are we not building nuclear weapons, mm-hmm. but it would be against... Uh, Mm. our own interests to have nuclear weapons and it's against our religion when you're supreme it'd be like the Pope coming out and saying you know uh, look we don't uh, we don't believe in 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 condoms Uh, good uh, abiding Catholics don't use condoms I don't know that's a bad analogy but anyway let's move on so uh, Iran, um, talking about Syria, argued that the civil war would continue as long as the US and its allies continued funding and arming the rebels. So the Rouhani regime was trying to convince America to stop supporting the rebels because they were convinced that the extremist Sunni groups were going to be a bigger threat to Syrians as well as to everyone else around them than Assad's regime. Mm -hmm. Keeping in mind... Iran equals Shia, everyone else basically equals uh, Sunni, including ISIS and al-Nusra and al-Qaeda and uh, the Islamic Front. These are all extremist, Salafist, Sunni organizations. Right. Now, um, Iran um, offered at the time to join the peace talks with uh, Assad and the, the various mm-hmm. different groups. Obviously, they're a major player. But the US rejected having Iran at the table mm. un- unless they first agreed to removing Assad from power. That was oh. one of the prerequisites. So it kind of reminds me of the Republicans and Obama. America's been going, fuck Iran fuck Iran, they don't want peace, they just want to support Syrian government. And they go, hey, we'll come to the table and talk about peace. No, 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 you can't do that. No, we can't have you at the table. No, you know, it's not enough. Like the Republicans going, Obama's plan is not tough enough. They're like, no, you're not taking right. a tough enough position against Assad. We We will continue to criticise you for the thing that you want to do that we won't let you do because we don't really want you... There, because that would look bad. Yeah. Uh, Rouhani, by the way, said, well, uh, that's not up to us. That's really up to the Supreme Leader. And uh, even if he did come out and say, well, we, we would go against Assad, um, the Supreme Leader probably wouldn't necessarily go along. But, by the way, America now supports Assad, so that's all for naught. Um, just to quickly jump into the present time. <laughs> right. The Amer- American government now basically implicitly and I think even tacitly has accepted that Assad's not going anywhere so they were demanding this from Iran a few years ago and now they've basically gone ah oh, fuck it, let's just leave him there jeez now the Kurds, I want to talk about the Kurds, how much time have we got left? Oh a bit now in, also in January 2014 um, the Kurds declared autonomy in three provinces up in northern Syria
0: do you remember who right. the Kurds are, Ray? We talked yeah, about the Kurds. Yeah, they're that semi-autonomous group uh, in between Iraq and Turkey, causing trouble for both countries, uh, wanting to be independent and yet never quite being given the the freedom by either country to be free, to be independent. Yeah, they've been
1: getting kicked around since uh, forever, pretty much. Yeah. The Kurds. Yeah. Um, uh, sometimes with the support of the U.S., sometimes against uh, the U.S. interests. So anyway, a group of Kurds declared autonomy and uh, they promised there'd be free elections within, within a few months. And uh, the U.S. went, nah uh, <laughs> We don't think so. They were like, fucking what? <laughs> now, America had claimed to be a staunch defender of... Kurdish rights when they were trying to kick Saddam Hussein out because he had battled right. the Kurds for decades. And they gassing. said, Oh, well, we got to get rid of Saddam. He's like gassing the Kurds. Where to He's get a the Kurd gas- killer. Where to get the gas from? Shh. Shut up. Don't ask that question. <laughs> um, but now, when these Kurds declared autonomy from Syria, so the Obama administration said, No.
0: Nah. Not a good time.
1: No. The Assistant Secretary of State for European and Eurasian Affairs, or the ASEA, uh, as it was abbreviated. Right. The ASEA. Philip Gordon said, We don't see for the future of Syria an autonomous Kurdish area or territory. We want to see a Syria that
0: remains united. Oh, God. Like it is now?
1: Yeah. And everyone's like, well... Fucking why the Israelis, the the Jews got Israel? Well, it's You wanted them to have their own area. The Kurds, right. what's why can't the Kurds get their own area? And he's like, eh, shut yeah. up. Fuck um, the Kurds. Yeah. yeah. So they didn't support the Kurds. Uh, and the Kurds are still controlling that northern part of Syria and still fighting for autonomy. Now, by this stage, again, by early 2014, Israel was... They'd thrown their lot in quite openly with the Free Syrian Army. Uh, we mm-hmm. talked in previous episodes where Syria was sort of a little bit hesitant about which side to get in early on in the conflict. Some quotes from various uh, Israeli officials said that, uh, well, better the devil you know. Uh, right. With regards to Assad, but now they're like, oh fucking one in all in man. So now, now they're out and out supporting the uh, the rebels.
0: Jeez. Now I I've read um because because you you're, you've taught me to look at both. Well, there's normally more than two sides, but I was looking at very different perspectives of the whole Israel getting in on on the Syrian civil war, and some of them were like, look, Israel just wants just wants Syria to go through a process called solemnization, which is like when Somalia and Africa was just broken apart and now it's just controlled by warlords. So some people are saying that Israel just wants Syria to fracture, to be controlled by opposing regimes. It's weakened. It can't threaten um, Israel, because Israel and Iran are, excuse me, uh, Syria and Iran are a partner. And that would allow Israel to focus exclusively on trying to destabilize or somehow defend themselves against Iran. So I've heard that and I've heard that Iran doesn't give a shit. They just want to be accepted. They just want it accepted that they own the Golan Heights, which is why they have a lot of activity going on in there. And um, even some of the um, uh, the former ambassador to the Israeli ambassador to the United States, Pretty much just said that uh, the, when he was when he was leaving his job as ambassador uh, to United States, he said the initial message about the Syrian issue was that we always wanted President Bashar Assad to go. We've always preferred the bad guys who aren't backed by Iran to the bad guys who are backed by Iran. So I was reading all over the place, uh, and at least that was a pretty honest statement for that guy because he's you know obviously it's his last day on the job and it was an exit interview. But it I was just thoroughly. <laughs> confused. Where in the fuck is Iran in regards to Syria? I guess it's pretty much comes down to what can they get out of it? What is best for them? Yeah. That same
1: Israeli ambassador you mentioned, I read his quotes as well. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, he said the greatest danger to Israel is by the strategic arc that extends from Tehran to Damascus to Beirut. And we Mm. saw the Assad regime as the keystone in that arc. Um, At at the same time, the uh, New York Times wrote, As the death toll has mounted, more Israelis joined a camp led by Amos Yadlin, former head of Israeli military intelligence, who argues that the devil you know is actually a devil who should be ousted sooner rather than later. Right. So that's that's the caveat to the devil you know argument. But yeah, so the... The IDF was uh, attacking various sites across Syria during this 2013-14 period. Um, But they were a little bit sort of sketchy. They kept saying, well, we're not attacking Syria. We're attacking Syrian weapons designed to go to Hezbollah. So we're really only attacking Hezbollah. We're defending Israel. Yeah, but we're we're not taking <laughs> we're sides attacking. in the civil war, but we're stopping <laughs> arms shipments from getting to Hezbollah by bombing Syria. And oh again, God. no, this isn't a declaration of war. We're just bombing your country. Don't get the two confused. Uh, this is very, they're very different things. <laughs> when oh we God. do it, when anyone right. else when anyone else does it, it's a declaration of war. When Japan. Bombed Pearl Harbor, declaration of war.
0: When America and Israel does it,
1: no, it's that's just no. no, no.
0: It's, it's just not war. I've it's been trying to tell you that for the last three episodes. Just because you bomb someone doesn't mean you're at war. Um,
1: twice in in um, I think it was May of uh, 2014, Israel launched missile strikes at a warehouse that mm. they claimed was. Storing advanced surface to surface missiles, uh, Fateh 1110, that were destined for Hezbollah, but the Syrian army also used those missiles. So, hard to, you know, we're taking Israeli intelligence for confirmation about whether or not they're helping, uh, whether they're right. attacking the Syrian government or just attacking weapons designed to go to Hezbollah. Um, they also uh, fired missiles at a Syrian convoy carrying Russian SA-17 anti-aircraft missiles, which they claim were being delivered to Hezbollah. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It, it's, it's, they're, they're killing... Israel, Israel's killing Syrian soldiers, but saying they're yep. not attacking Syria. Right. Gray area? Look, I think Israel was hoping to weaken Assad... At a mm-hmm. time when his troops had started winning some battles against the rebels, but doing uh, it in a way where they had an out. No right. we're not no. no, we're not attacking you. No, this is we're attacking Hezbollah. No, they're a yeah.
0: terrorist organization. Not not you. We like you. <laughs> You're good people's, yeah. but these guys got to go. Did Did you come across the supposed leaked interview between Israeli Minister of Foreign Affairs Avigdor Lieberman, uh, Netanyahu, and Putin? I don't think I did. Please share. So, so, so there, uh, and and you never know it's true, but it was, um, it was, um, uh, they they think maybe one of the uh translators or whatever. So, so, so this this very short conversation gets out so these three guys are sitting down and Netanyahu uh, asked Putin to facilitate Bashir Assad's departure and uh, and and Netanyahu said look you can appoint his successor we shall not object um, there is one condition though the successor must break with Iran and again this has this goes back to um, Israel really trying to bust up the partnership or the support that Iran gives to uh, to Syria so Putin responds we have no candidate for Bashir's successor. Do you? And uh, Netanyahu says, no, we don't, but we shall tell you our preference soon. So again, because this is leaked, it's like one of those um, Wikipedia things. You, you don't know how much true, of it's true. But again, it seems that there's conversations going on. No one can figure out what to do with Syria. No one can figure out what to do with Bashar. And the whole thing is just a clusterfuck. And so, and, and I don't see that changing for a very, very long time.
1: Yeah. Interesting. And I guess, thinking about it in more detail, the reason Israel is being circumspect about whether or not they're actually taking sides in this or not, the reason why everybody is, is because there is no... United Nations Security Council approval here. So if you were yeah. to declare war, or if you were to say, look, we're attacking them, fuck it, yeah. you're, you're you're actually in breach of um, international law. Right. But no one can do anything about that. I mean, Israel's been in breach of international law since 1967 and no one can do anything about it because... <sighs> America vetoes every attempt to do anything about it, and there's been a couple of hundred of those now uh, in right. the Security Council. So the same thing would happen. So, they're, but they're, I guess they're trying to avoid outright condemnation by doing it covertly or claiming we're attacking Hezbollah. The same thing as the Obama administration is doing,
0: mm-hmm.
1: doing it did in you, secret behind the scenes.
0: Right, and and not to switch topics, but did you when they did the? Um, the deal with Iran for the the nuclear uh, deal with Iran, did you read about the prisoner swap? Uh, no, tell me about the prisoner oh swap. my god, so so here we are thinking that well, okay, some of us may be thinking that Obama did something pretty decent. He avoided bombing Syria, getting us, getting us involved in that, and also was able to get a commitment from Iran, hopefully for the next fifteen years not to develop not to enrich enrich enough uranium to try to develop weapons all the republicans don't like it and and all the good stuff but supposedly even that is not the entire truth so if you listen if you go on um the obama website when they had it up it said um that um iran was about two or three months from having enough material uh, um, fission material to build a weapon and that um In October of 2015, um, they were able to ship um, 25,000 pounds of enriched uranium out of the country. They've been able to, because of this deal, they've been able to dismantle and remove two-thirds of their uh, centrifuges, which we talked about earlier. And so supposedly all these great things are going on. But then I went to the website Politico which i didn't know much about but it had a different take on the entire iranian uh nuclear deal it said that the white house mentioned as a part of this as part of this deal a one time gesture of releasing iranian born prisoners we were going to release seven iranians six of them were iranian americans and iran was going to release five americans Furthermore, we were going to drop cases against 14 others that we were gathering material for in order to, to, to arrest and, and prosecute. And it turns out that even though the seven that we released weren't really bad guys, um, um, that supposedly they weren't doing anything that threatened the United States, the 14 people that we dropped the cases on were, and by any defin- definition of the word, baddies. I mean, these guys were trying to gather um, weapons. Uh, they were trying to gather stuff to help with the uh, the nuclear program in Iran. They were trying to gather uh, uh, high-end electronics for uh, anti-air. Uh, they were trying to gather stuff for milit- missiles, and they were t- funneling all this stuff through either China or some country in Africa. I'm trying to remember right now, but we basically, and, and we didn't tell anybody. We just said, we're going to drop the cases against these 14 guys and they're not wanted for anything too serious. But supposedly we had very concrete evidence on them. We were just trying to track them down. That these guys were doing some really bad things for either Iran, the government, or some some interested party in Iran. That we dropped the case and uh, promised not to, per- to to prosecute them or to hunt them down anymore. And that was all a part of the uh, the Iranian nuclear deal. So again. You wonder how much is true. Obviously, Politico has got its own agenda, but so, so even this deal where we try to get something good out of with, with an agreement with Iran is not as clear cut as it would seem. That maybe we sacrificed more than what we thought we did in trying to avoid any kind of showdown with Iran over over their nuclear program. Hmm. And you have to wonder if if
1: American political. And military leaders really don't believe that Iran is trying to develop nuclear weapons. Mm-hmm. If that's just a front that they put on to justify different things, um, why would they do this deal? I think it, right. I mean, why would Obama try and do this deal to ease up on the sanctions of, in Iran? if he didn't really believe it was a way of stopping them from developing nuclear weapons? Was it just a way of uh, trying to reduce the tensions between America and Iran uh, to try and get them to stop supporting uh, the Bashar al-Assad government? Um, what, yeah. is, what was their agenda?
0: The most that I could come up with is, as we said earlier, their economy was massively suffering under the economic constra- uh, constraints. The um, And if you look at the agreement of the Iranian nuclear deal, I mean, we still have anything related to weapons, conventional weapons, anything related to missiles, anything that Uh, We can still say that they are a state sponsor of terrorism, uh, ballistic missiles. Uh, We're keeping an eye on their rights abuses and censorship and stuff like that. So not all of these sanctions have been lifted, just stuff that has to do with uh, the nuclear program. So they're getting some money finally into this country. But I think Obama just um, saw an opportunity with a new leader, the fact that they were hurting economically. And I think he just took a chance on trying to come up with some kind of deal to, like you said, stabilize some part of this region that is currently just a huge mess that could easily, the uh, the war in Syria could easily spread to Turkey and to other places as well. I think Obama was just trying to take advantage of a series of uh, coincidences that lined up and I think just like most, Amer- uh, most leaders, just doing the best he could with what he perceived to have in front of him. I think he was just trying to de-escalate the area for once in the last, you know, 30 or 40 years.
1: Yeah, I think there's probably a bit more to it than that. I wonder... Oh,
0: I'm if- sure. I'm sure.
1: i wonder you know, we, we, we kind of gather that Obama and Netanyahu didn't get along very well. I right. wonder if doing the deal with Iran was a way of putting pressure on the right-wing Israeli government and trying to uh, force uh, a change in uh, their political leadership to more moderate Israeli parties. hmm mm. Speaking of Israel... Yeah. Um, As we had mentioned, the Israelis were more and more determined to overthrow the uh, Assad government by this stage, and they started using their powerful lobbying apparatus in Washington to try and sway public opinion and put pressure on Congress to get America fully invested in the Syrian war. Now... Uh, the, they do have a powerful lobbying apparatus in the U.S. And again, this is talking about Israel and Israel's ability to manipulate the American political scene is one of these tricky areas where you you can easily get accused of being either a tinfoil hat conspiracy theorist <laughs> or being uh, an anti-Semite or whatever you like. Right. Or both. But, but it, it, it does exist. Yeah. Um, it's well known The the different lobbying groups And the functions that they run And the amount of money that they spend So it's ridiculous to say There is no lobbying On behalf of the Israeli government And Israeli people in the US Absolutely
0: mm-hmm. Just
1: a question of To what extent it is successful And what its levers are And why it is successful when it is And why it fails when it fails um, Now In this particular instance, it failed massively in the short term and may have even failed massively in the long term if you think about the Trump administration's uh, position. Now, Trump has tried to position himself as being very close to Israel and the Netanyahu government. Hillary Mm -hmm. Clinton, during her campaign, also sucked up to Israel big time. Obama was a little bit more uh, aggressive towards Israel and uh, their continued incursions in in the West Bank and places like that. But in this particular point, uh, obviously Obama didn't even have the support to push for a congressional vote, and the Israelis' lobby's uh, ability to get Congress to support Obama on this was massively unsuccessful. Mm-hmm.
0: yeah I don't I don't think any kind of lobbying by anybody is going to nudge the general the average American I mean we just look at that and we've and how long have we been in the Middle East since since you know since 9 11 we have no interest what? since 911 I mean since yeah well I mean you know when we went in after nine11 when we
1: well, yeah you've been playing around with the Middle East since World War II yeah. but you no mean, right
0: you no I'm talking about yeah, troops since, in the. ground. Right. right, exactly. We just have no fucking interest. Uh, there are people that do. There are people that think that everybody over there is our enemy. We need to wipe them out. And I think I'm related to, to some of them in South Carolina. But um, we're, we're just done. We're done with the Middle East. And it would take I, I can't imagine anybody being able to convince the majority of Americans to get involved in Syria. I, I just I don't, don't know, see man. that happening.
1: Don't you think, though, that the, major- the, the the public gets its views from the media and the politicians? So if the media and the politicians ramp up a position, a rationale for why America should put more troops in the Middle East, the, a large percentage of the American public are going to go along with it. That's how they I, formed their yeah. position on things. It's not the other way around. Politicians don't do what the people want. The people want what the politicians tell them they want.
0: That's the whole thing with the press that you just said, that is true ninety-nine point nine percent of the time. But just from what I and I and I could be wrong, I'm just talking about the, the people that I interact with on a daily basis. Um it's it's pretty much the Middle East, fuck that, never again. So the news medias can say what they want, the the, the politicians can say what they want, but we have had our fill of the Middle East, and we don't want any more of our people over there dying, being away from their families for years. We we just... And we should never have gone over there in the first place, but we have had enough. It would take a hell of a, an impressive uh, campaign to get us to change our minds. But we'll and believe that, again, everything... again, it's just the people... But
1: we'll believe yeah, everything sorry. the media <laughs> and the White House tells us about Russia, or the Democrats, not even the White House, tell us about Russia, and try to flip our election, because we will go to war with Russia instead... The yeah. people, I mean, that's my perspective from over here. Anyway, yeah. the Americans are being led by the nose, by their nose rings, uh, directly into another conflict with Russia this yeah. time. So
0: I, just, I don't know. The whole I, I know that I don't know. Everybody else seems to, to, a lot of people think they know what's going on. I know I don't know. I'm going to wait for Robert Mueller and then even then be skeptical and... I don't know, because other countries have talked about Putin has interfered with their elections, So it's certainly possible. Um, we just don't know. And we may never know.
1: Anyway, so um, Israel didn't get its way here, but they were trying to get the U S to go all in with Syria by this point. Um, <laughs> oh, family's home. Um, now, It seems that by this point, everyone, um, at least in terms of the political establishment in the U.S., agreed that the United States should help overthrow Assad and install a pro-U.S. regime. But Mm -hmm. they couldn't agree on how to do it. And I think this is important, and we'll finish up here. Um, It's important to, to realize, as I've said a couple of times in the last few episodes... There isn't this monolithic view, uh, obviously, in the White House uh, under any administration, Obama administration, obviously the Trump administration. There are always competing people with competing interests, competing views and visions of what should be done. This is true with the deep state. This is true with um, the military. This is true just in every organization. Right. And what you see normally happening as a member of the general public is you get tiny glimpses of these internecine wars going on inside of organizations that are usually fairly carefully managed and presented Mm -hmm. in terms of public relations exercises. Uh, We don't see what's going on behind the scenes, but you can always assume, read between the lines, that there are there's a lot of infighting going on and this was true then now the hawks obviously as clips we've played before from Lindsey Graham etc argue that Obama was weak and indecisive he should yeah. have armed moderate rebels sooner should have set up a no-fly zone etc cetera, etc cetera. should have taken the same sort of approach they had done with Libya and or Iraq before that The doves, on the other hand, were arguing that staying out of Syria made sense because conditions on the ground were very difficult. A lot of parties involved, fighting each other. Uh, It was very hard to tell who's who in the zoo. Uh, How do you tell a good rebel from a bad rebel? Um, And they kind of supported this idea of continuing to fund and support the moderate quote-unquote rebels uh, and forcing Assad to dismantle his chemical weapons. Mm-hmm. The Pentagon at the time was dead opposed to establishing a no-fly zone or any other ongoing military presence in Syria. And that's important to understand. I, mean, I think sometimes yeah. we assume that the military are the ones driving military engagements. Mm-hmm. But... It's quite often not the case. Military contractors, uh, suppliers to the military, the people who make the bombs and the guns and the tanks, they, their interests lie in more war because then they America right. needs more of their products. And, but the actual guys that have to run the campaigns and put the men and women on the ground,
0: you know, yeah, quite the time now.
1: Quite often they're a lot more cautious about this because this is real lives. They understand that. I don't think they are usually as callous as we may think they are about sending people into battle. Um, And they also... And and then it's also, if it doesn't go well, it's their reputation as a general. If you agree to this and and it goes badly, then you're going to look bad. Uh, General Martin E. Dempsey... Chair of the Joint Chiefs of Staff said at the time that creating an effective no-fly zone would require as many as 70,000 American troops because Syria had a sophisticated anti-aircraft system. He said that such a massive deployment would be needed to permanently ground Syria's air force and prevent retaliatory attacks on U.S. forces. So he was saying, no, just it can't be done. So despite what the Republicans are saying, we need to, you know, go in hard. The military is saying, no, that's not that's not even feasible. Sorry, go on.
0: no, just I just wanted to add to that. Every every male in my family, uh, extended family, is is in the military, but me. And they are all about they are results driven, results oriented, and like you said, to go in there to any part of Syria and to not have a clear um, clear strategy and a clear objective and a clear goal. It's just going to lead to a clusterfuck. It's just going to lead to a snowball into your more and more and more in there. And suddenly you're spending billions of dollars and you're losing hundreds, if not thousands of men. So again, it's because for them, they see that how they see how messy it is. They don't want any part of that. And that's kind of the way they're programmed to define a goal, accomplish it, accomplish it and get out. Syria has none of that to offer.
1: And they didn't have any allies on the ground. Uh, and mm-hmm. And... America knows what that means. Um, yeah. You know, particularly since Vietnam. They've seen this again in Iraq and Afghanistan, how much difficulty they've had getting allies on the ground to support them. Um, yeah, they had overwhelming military superiority in Indochina yeah. during the Vietnam War, but they lost the war. And this may be a surprise to many Americans, but they did lose the war. Because they had no reliable allies on the ground. And as soon as they packed yeah. up and left home, uh, left, went home, everything sort of fell apart the bit that they did leave. They tried to create, obviously, a military force behind the South Vietnamese, but yeah. it quickly sort of dissolved as um, the US withdrew. Yeah. Um, and they repeated that again in Afghanistan and Iraq. Um, now, of course, the military is always prepared to go to war. They, as you say though, they just want to make sure they're going to be successful. That's not to say that they don't get involved in wars that uh, destined to be a disaster from the get-go, like Iraq mm-hmm. was. But uh, yeah, they get pushed into it by the by the politicians, by Congress. They don't have right. any choice really. They can't stand up and say "fuck you,"
0: right? They have to take orders. Yep. Hmm. So.
1: Um, <clears throat> The so the CIA and and the State Department really were trying to do this uh, covert thing going on behind the scenes, um, and and there's this difference I think between the State Department and the CIA and the, and the Pentagon when you're looking at their approaches to tackling situations like this, um, the State Department and. The CIA, to a lesser extent, like to suggest limited military actions very early on. I think the Pentagon are more familiar with the concept that that doesn't tend to work out because, as we've said before, you get you bomb it, you fix it. Right. Um, the CIA director at the time, David Petraeus, and Hillary Clinton, who was Secretary of State, favored... Increased training of the rebel militias. Clinton Mm -hmm. famously said that the United States should get skin in the game. I would have said, "What your skin?" And uh,
0: that's right.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we'll send you in. That's
0: right.
1: But Obama was Obama was cautious because the Libyan intervention had already been a bit of a disaster. I know Mm -hmm. that people. I've had a couple of emails from people disagree with my assessment of Libya, but. It's pretty hard to say it's successful, depending on what metrics you look at. Um, are the Libyan people better off now or worse off than they were uh, before NATO's intervention? I think on most metrics, they are worse off. Yeah, It's, chaos. Uh, it's a clusterfuck over there.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, so anyway, by the, my point is, by the end of 2013, a consensus had been reached. They would continue to step up the supply of arms and training to the rebels and would hold off on direct U.S. intervention. And Now, the question then was whether to have the Defense Department openly um, and train the rebels. Right. Some people said, well, you know, to do that would be violating international law because, again, (laughs) we're not at war with these people, so we can't do that. Instead, they decided to keep the CIA covertly uh, funding and training the rebels.
0: Now, again, that's worked out so well. Uh This is still
1: a breach of international law. So this is the point: the Obama administration was violate secretly, Mm -hmm. although it was probably one of the worst kept secrets. Secretly violating international law by covertly training and supplying rebel militaries to overthrow the government of Syria. And some of those rebel militias were, or closely related to, or the weapons ended up in the hands of fundamentalist Islamic groups, terrorist organizations in the U.S.'s own words.
0: But if you do it unofficially and secretly, and if anybody asks you, and... If you're doing it and you say no, isn't that the world we live in now? It's like yeah. no, I, I, I'm not, I'm not doing it. I'm, do you have? Proofs? But I think I'm not but doing I, it.
1: I think this is my point. Like over the years, when I've talked about the CIA's involvement in overthrowing governments in Iraq or, or, or the Dominican Republic, or, or you know, just try, attempts to do it in Cuba, and, and you know, you just go go through the list: Haiti, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. During the 50s and 60s and 70s, people will often say to me, well, okay, yes, they used to do that, but we don't do that anymore. You know, there was the famous church report that came out, Frank Church did a congressional report on the CIA in the early 70s and went, oh my God, the CIA is out of control. We pulled it in, you know, we put some oversight on the CIA. Now, CIA, clean as a fucking whistle. (laughs) <laughs> they don't do any of that shit anymore, man. <laughs> Unless we tell them to assassinations. Uh oh, you know, uh, 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 secretly uh, getting, uh, supplying, training rebels to overthrow governments. No, no, no think, they you're never thinking
0: would. of the '70s. No. Here's my point: we Is help that,
1: people. That was happening during the Obama administration, and it's public now. No one's this isn't. This isn't a conspiracy theory. This has been outed publicly. They right. they spent somewhere somewhere between five hundred and a billion dollars doing this, depending on um, <clears throat> which tally you take. I don't think anyone even really fucking knows. But see, this is going on today under an Obama administration, uh, and uh, this is why people like me are so skeptical about anything the US ever tells us, because we know right. this shit's going on and that they lie about it and deny it for years and years and years. Uh, just just before we wrap up, I want to say that um, you know even during this time there was a lot of calls for more aggressive military intervention. Good old John McCain uh, was still arguing for a no-fly zone, even though the Pentagon said it wouldn't work. There are two right-wing analysts who sketched out a plan in the Wall Street Journal: Jack Keane, former Vice Chief of Staff of the U.S. Army, and Daniel Pletka who worked for the American Enterprise Institute. They're a conservative think tank. Um, they were arguing for limited attacks to ground Assad's air force and then expand to a no-fly zone. They wrote, out, We should outfit moderate rebel units vetted by the CIA with manned, portable, shoulder-fired anti-aircraft missiles. If American forces use standoff cruise missiles and B-2 stealth bombers for these strikes, they'll be out of the enemy's reach. Um, Now, the point of talking about Keane here, because he is a Fox News commentator and this kind of stuff, what Mm. neither the Wall Street Journal or Fox News would reveal is that he was at the time sitting on the board of directors of General Dynamics (laughs) and was a consultant slash strategic advisor for um, Academy or Academy, I guess they probably pronounce it, Um, General Dynamics, for people who don't know, among other things, is uh, the company that builds Tomahawk missiles, uh, or the destroyers that the Tomahawk missiles are launched from, even. Academy spun out of the notorious private military company that used to be called Blackwater that was founded by Eric Prince, who is the brother of the current United States Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos. Oh, God. Uh, and they got themselves into a whole bunch of trouble when they were found guilty of killing Iraqi civilians and he yeah. had to change the name and sell it off and all this kind of stuff. Um, so, you know, this guy Keen is advocating these things, but really is on the boards of these companies. And that's so often the case when you see commentators in the right. news they're commentating on this or that military-wise, dig into their backgrounds. You'll usually find they're sitting on a board or two yeah. or they're advisors to <laughs> people that are benefiting from this advice that they're giving. That's one of the ways Follow you the can to the bullshit. Yeah. 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 Always when somebody is advocating for something yeah. like this, look into what, where their interests lie. Um, now... Uh, Uh, getting back to Libya and Benghazi just to wrap up um, Mm -hmm. you know that was a disaster as I said it ended up being a seven month war that France, Britain and the United States waged in Libya after the Benghazi attacks Uh, Mm -hmm. even though the Security Council had passed a resolution for a limited intervention to protect the people of Benghazi ended up taking seven months when Gaddafi was finally murdered Uh, a Prime Minister selected by the West was put into power he turned out to be completely inept and warring militias took over the country Uh, and no one really wanted a repeat of that in Syria the Obama administration spent a billion dollars according to the New York Times on the CIA's covert train and equip program as it's known codenamed Timber Sycamore not as okay. bad as supreme military council <laughs> but timber sycamore nice. that sounds nice i'd spend it, wait, what are you spending that being dollars on barack oh that's just timber sycamore what is it don't, don't don't worry about it sounds nice though right okay. uh, you yeah. like you like timber you like sycamore yeah. trees yeah okay sounds like it would smell good it was one of the costliest and probably the costliest Covert program in the history of the CIA. Cheers. Failed dismally, as I said, uh, literally at, when, when it was wound up and there was an inquiry, they said we probably ended up with five people out of it that we could trust.
0: Five really good ones.
1: And it was eventually shut down by Trump in 2017.
0: Go, go Trump. Good for you.
1: And that's where we're gonna wrap it up. Gonna read another review quickly before we go out. This one is from Stephen T1134 from Australia. Listen, think, question, and decide for yourself. Ray and Cam have mastered the blend of humor, pop culture, and rock music required of the punk history genre. <laughs> there you go, I like Ray. That. Punk history. I'd never thought about I'm it a punk terms. historian like that. Yeah, that's He's what like, I yeah. yeah. Gonna get that on a business card. <laughs> punk historian. Supreme Leader. Cam the Man Ram, punk historian. (laughs) This series, however, demands more gravitas than their other history shows due to the currency of its content. The hosts understand this and successfully walk the line to deliver something special. They perform deep research on complex contemporary history and present the best version of the facts they can. It is worthwhile (laughs) noting... As this series, somebody's getting killed in the background, (laughs) covers recent world events. Contemporary politics are openly discussed. Regardless of what you believe, you should embrace the challenge of nuanced and intelligent arguments. Your hosts don't want you to accept everything they say, nor cherry-pick facts which reinforce your existing views. They want you to listen actively, to think, to question, to make up your own mind. Hence, approach this with an open mind and you will get the most out of it by learning about both yourself and the world nice yeah good one Stefan Stephen Teeth send us an email with your address send you a thank you gift uh, I think you said that well yeah. we don't want you to believe what we say no, go look it up go look, yeah. look it up please we're just trying to help you give you, get you give you some background and get you thinking about some of the different perspectives here absolutely that's it we are nearly up to date we're a couple of years off but I mean that was I mean that program nothing much has happened really since that program Trump bombing maybe a couple more gas attacks that we'll cover give us another couple of episodes and we'll be done still not sure what we're going to do next we're having a lot of discussions about it but um, it'll be good yeah yeah